G'day, my name's Adam Draycott. Welcome. Uh, you are watching the online ministry from St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. Uh, this has been prepared for the 5th of February, 2023. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 95. Uh, it says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Let's have a time of praise. Abound. 
Let's pray. Father, watch over your family and keep us safe in your care. For all our hope is in you. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. As we come to the ministry of God's word, uh, we, we take up again our series in the book of Acts. Uh, and so our preaching passage will be Acts chapter 6, verses 8 to 15. Uh, Old Testament reading is Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Uh, Psalm 84 is also highly recommended. If you're watching this as part of a church family, read it out loud together. Uh, that would be a good thing to do. As I mentioned, we're taking up again the book of Acts. And so today uh, I'll be preaching from verses 8 to 15 of chapter 6 but also to try to do a recap of sorts as well to help those who are only just joining in. Um, I want to begin by asking, how did we get here? Uh, it's, that question isn't always about geography, is it? Or Google Maps. Um, it might be a stage of life question. Uh, a reflective, oh, how did we get here? Um, a warm welcome, by the way, to those who are new to Inverell, uh, they might be asking the same question. Or we watch the news and we despair. Oh my goodness, how, how did we get here? How did it come to this? And maybe we ask that question here in Acts. Uh, this book should be called Acts of the Risen Christ. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name by which we must be saved. And so we land in chapter 6. I better pray, so please join me. Our loving Father, as we come to your word, speak to our hearts and minds by your spirit. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith. That we live faithfully, uh, live as faithful worshippers of you. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Three-point sermon. First point, Stephen. Second, opposition. Third, Jesus. Let's go with that. Uh, Stephen, point one, verse eight. Stephen is a man full of God's grace and power. Give me some of that. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. For, from distributing food to widows to here, it's like he's leveled up. Uh, the words describe him like he is an apostle. He's painted with the same uh, colours, if you like. Um, so chapter 2, verse 43, or chapter 3, verse 10, I've got them in the outline if you have access to that. Chapter 4, verse 33, even at the, verse 5 of this chapter. Uh, but he's not an apostle. He's not. He ha didn't bear witness to the resurrected Christ. Uh, he's building on their foundation, though. The foundation is laid. We need to see now the church being built. Uh, and, and as you think about that picture, the foundation and the building being built up, Stephen is part of that. And no, that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. God's people built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And who is the cornerstone? Yep. Who's the one that holds it together? Yep. His name is Jesus. Now, Stephen is emulating the ministry of the apostles 
What was their priority? Because in the previous story, the widows are neglected. The ministry of the word is in danger of neglect too. And Stephen and a handful of others, they, they take one for the team. So look at verse 2 of chapter 6. The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Do you see Stephen step back so that others can step up. He is freeing the apostles so that the apostles can be about what? The ministry of the word and prayer. Here at St. Augustine's, what is our core value? Number one, you should be yelling biblical teaching, ministry of the word. What's our core biblical value? Number two, prayer. And so are we consistent then with these priorities that we see here in Acts? Absolutely. Uh, our purpose here at St. Augustine's is to grow in Christ. And the Bible and the prayer are essential to our purpose of growing in Christ. Here's another application about Stephen. See, if waiting on tables isn't, you know... Ooh, the, the showiest thing. It is enabling. It's freeing others to preach. So have a think about this. Mowing lawns, cleaning the church, cleaning the church toilets, counting, welcoming. If you're about pouring cups of tea, thank you. Hallelujah. We thank God for you. Thank you for being a team player. Remember. Uh, they are all valuable tasks that are a means to the end. And the end is the ministry of the word and prayer. The end is for all of us to grow in Christ. And so you've got to know someone like Stephen, he's going, go your good thing. Because he's a team first, humble, gracious kind of guy. Which then begs the question, or the prayer, dear Lord, help me to be like Stephen. I mean, what cost would you bear or what cost are you bearing to make sure the ministry of the word remains a priority in your church to free others up? But also know, verse 8, tells us that his job, like he's the catering manager, that job does not constrain him. Which brings us to the second point, opposition. Look at verse 9. Uh, opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freed men, as it was called. Now, freed men, um, they, commentators believe that they're freed slaves released from Rome that now gather in their own particular synagogue in Jerusalem. Um, they're Jews of Cyrene, so Cyrene was a village of Libya, Alexandria, Egypt, uh, as well as the provinces of Cilicia, Turkey, and Asia. He began to argue with Stephen, all right? They're not happy, Jam. Uh, so verse 11, 
they can't refute Stephen. So verse 11, they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And I mean, you feel like you're in high school, don't you? They bring Stephen to the headquarters, to Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council of the Jews. So the high priest uh, is chairman of the board. Verse 12, what does it say? So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin ruling council. Uh, they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. We've heard him say this and that and on it goes. The best, most effective lie is a half lie or a half truth rather. And liars are really good at the half truths, telling you what they want you to know, leaving out the important bits, uh, twisting things. And that's what lies do. What motivates them? Well, here it seems that, ooh, Moses is under threat, and ooh, God and the law, verse 13. And what else is under threat? Ooh, the holy place, the temple, and verse 14. Ooh, customs we got from Moses. So he don't mess with customs and traditions because people will want to kill you for it. All of those things that they want to defend actually speak to God's old covenant witness. But whatever they believe about those things, they don't stand up and they are unable to refute Stephen. As precious as they say they are to Stephen, they got nothing that they can throw at him, it seems. I mean, Peter, he gets arrested in chapter 4. Same goes. Wait, Jesus, he gets tested and arrested over those same kind of things, same goes. And again, we read Acts, and again, it all kind of feels like deja vu, doesn't it? Have we been here before? And it is yet another reminder, as we've been saying, that what goes for Jesus goes for those who follow him. Now, why does the opposition fail? Two reasons because they're contending against God ultimately. Verse 10, they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. They got nothing, no chance. Here's the second reason, because every one of these things, the law, the temple, the promises, they are all yes in Christ Jesus. He is risen, he is ascended, he is completely over this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 20, I think it is. So here is an application. Be careful about defending traditions and customs in the name of God, lest you find yourself at odds with God. Now this is uh, an important thing for us to think about here at St. Augustine's. I mean, what is our core Value number one. I've said it already. It's the Bible. Biblical teaching. But as people walk into our building, what conclusion would they make about what we value most? Would they assume it's by merely walking into the place? Would they actually know very clearly that the Bible 
and God's word and prayer were our two first two core values? Or would they assume it was something else? Would they assume it's traditions and customs? Is that what they would conclude? It's a question we need to, to ask. And it's a really important question as we think about our welcome. As new people walk into our building, what conclusion would they make about what we value? Verse 15. Wow, we're flying. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, uh, looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Here's an early application. You can have the face of an angel. People will still try and kill you. Now, what is this business about a face like an angel? Uh, well, I saw one this morning when I woke up and got out of bed. No, Tanya's up before I am. I know where you were going anyway. What does it mean? Mo Tanya's my wife, by the way. Moses, the one they say they defend, did he radiate with the glory of God? Is that Exodus 34? You go, yeah, that was Moses radiating. He'd done business with God. And here, sitting in front of the Jewish ruling council, is Stephen. Kind of getting his Moses on, maybe. Radiating. It's clearly communicating the favour and blessing of God. It's literally staring his opponents in the face. Can they see for looking? Can they work it out and join the dots? Can they see that God is showing them that Moses' ministry of the law and what Stephen's interpretation of it is are aligned? Do they see that? That they're on the same page? Moses and Stephen. Do they get that? Do they see that both uh, enjoy the wonderful blessing of God? Do they see that? No, they can't see. They can't see for looking. So here is the application again. You can have the face of an angel. You can enjoy the blessing and favour of God. And you can be a faithful witness. And still, people will try and kill you for it. What the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians is true. To one, we are the stench that brings death. To the other, the aroma that brings life. True of Jesus. True of the Apostles. True of Stephen here, absolutely. True for us. True for the church. Our church, your church true for you. See, as we recap Acts, you know, this is this is also Peter's experience to who rejoiced at being counted worthy for suffering disgrace in the name of Christ. That was Acts chapter 5 verse 41. Is that you? Do you rejoice at being counted worthy for suffering disgrace in the name of Christ? Maybe I should ask you a different question. Maybe I should be asking you, what cost are you willing to wear? Here's the third point, and I want you to stay with me. All right, because this is where it's going to get really good. Uh, look at verse 13. They produced false witnesses who testified. 
This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses had handed down to, to us. Okay, now, what is this place that they're talking about? Or what is this holy place that they speak of? Told twice now. <laughs> it's the temple. Now remember, when they're talking about the temple, they're not talking about Solomon's temple. The glorious one that got destroyed and that, that God left. In Ezekiel 10, God, the glory of God, departed the building. Ezekiel 10, it's there. He's gone. Which makes this second temple... Herod's temple pale in comparison to Solomon's temple, uh, no less because the Ark of the Covenant isn't there, the divine fire isn't there, no, none of that. Actually, it's better just to think of it as Herod's temple, I think. And then you get Jesus come along in the story, so Solomon's temple destroyed, uh, tried to rebuild it, and then you end up with Herod's temple, right? Then Jesus comes into the story and you remember in Luke 21, the disciples going, ooh, ah, look at, look at the temple. And Jesus going, it's all coming down. It's all coming down. And it did. You can still see the remnants of the carnage today. You should go and have a look at it. It's amazing. And then as we think about the Gospels, we remember John 2, about the way Jesus again spoke about the temple there. But it was a bit different. Because Jesus has just cleared the temple courts and then the Jews are going, oh, you, who said you could do that? Give us a sign. Prove your authority, you know, like a show us your bus pass kind of moment. And Jesus says, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three. And they go, ooh, it's taken us 46 years to rebuild this. You can't raise it in three. What's he talking about? And then verse 21, the disciples have an oh yeah moment. That the temple he had spoken of was his body. The temple is his body. And then we come to the book of Acts. We actually know what Jesus said. That they're twisting things and telling half-truths. But that's not just what I want to show you. I want to show you something else. Because in these early chapters of Acts, it is like Dr. Luke uses the old temple, Herod's temple, as a backdrop to point people to something new, a new temple. This is a tale, the book of Acts in these early chapters that we've already worked through. This is a tale of two temples. And one has already had its day, kind of. And the new one, well, this is what he wants to show you. The new one is Jesus. But it's not limited to Jesus. The new temple is Jesus and all who belong to him. Built together, joined together, that rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Ephesians 2 verse 20. See, at the old temple, people would go and give to the needy. They'd find healing and comfort. They'd pray. They'd hear preaching. They would gather all at the old temple. That would happen. But what, what's happening at the end of chapter 4? Who's selling possessions and giving to the needy? It's a new temple. Of Jesus and his follow and healing and comfort. He's providing healing and comfort. <gasps> it's Jesus and his people. Peter does it in the name of Jesus. 
and prayer. What's the domain of you know, uh, the priest? Well, here is Peter and Kay. They're doing chapter 3 and he's preaching. And you're going to hear Stephen preach a sermon next week. And they're gathering, chapter 5, verse 12. And at this point I go, well, what would Ananias and Sapphira say? Was the old temple where church... Where, uh, was the old temple where discipline took place. And then we see the new temple, the new covenant community. Oh, there, I have to think about that a bit more. I want you to see, Dr. Luke wants you to see, that the new temple is Jesus and his community. It's where people now encounter all those things. That again, what was the domain of the old is now the domain of the new. What about the glory of God descending? Because that's a temple tabernacle thing, isn't it? God's presence descends, denoted by fire, comes down. Chapter 2, Pentecost. What do you think happens? The new temple of Jesus' community. Tongues of fire resting on each. Do you see it? Isn't that exciting? And they're now empowered to be God's spirit-filled witnesses. Doing what Stephen is doing. See the glory of God's new temple. See that it begins with Jesus. See that the heart of true and proper worship is not the old temple. It is Jesus. Jesus is where people experience the love and generosity and healing presence of God. And if we are being built and joined together as the Lord's temple, then we are also conduits of God's love and generosity and peace and grace. Do you see it? The kingdom of God is not bricks and mortar, the kingdom of God is people, filled by the Spirit, empowered by grace, who belong to Christ and bear witness to him by the Spirit. See, where is God now? Where's God now? Where can people go and meet and experience the love and presence of God? Answer, Christians. Christians, you and me. God dwells in our hearts by the Holy Spirit through faith in Christ. And that is all of his love and all of his grace that the creator God would dare take up residence in my heart. It's just incredible that he would do that. It's all of his grace. Which then it makes it equally incredible that Christians would think that you can find, can find God to a building or a space or put up a curtain or hide him behind a fence like we're back in the old temple. That, and, we'll, and they'll do it all in the name of tradition and custom. And they might even uh, put up a light to, to denote the presence of God. When Jesus clearly says, you are the light. You're the light. Maybe we're drawn to these old customs because it deflects from me. Thanks God a little less personal. You put him in a box put him behind a fence, maybe a bit safer. Maybe I don't have to think and reckon with his transforming grace. Maybe it's easy to deal with his holiness only for an hour once a week rather than every day 
in every part of my life? I don't know. I mean, it all speaks to the holiness of God dwelling in my heart. Holiness of God that reminds me I need a saviour. I need a sacrifice. There needs to be a punishment, a death, a propitiation. A body destroyed, but raised in three. Risen, ascended, and now resides in me. Let me say it again. In Christ Jesus, we are being built up together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are the new temple of God in Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God is not bricks and mortar. Inverell Anglican Church is not bricks and mortar. It is God's spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, grace-empowered, spirit-filled witnesses. Witnesses to the Saviour and his love for all of us. And so I trust that us here at St Augustine's and wherever you are, whatever church you're part of, that we all want to do church in a way that is biblical. And that'll mean uh, taking stock uh, and resetting from time to time. It will mean asking hard questions. It might mean there's pain. Growing pains mean we're growing and that's okay. It will mean that some will be ready to protest and sadly even some uh, will... We'll throw stones. It's all there. Well, we can expect that. But my invitation to you is to come with us uh, here at St Augustine's as we live as the new temple of Jesus' community as we think through what that means. And as we do that, may we be like Stephen. Um, let us love one another uh, as Christ first loved us. He did that. And let us also be about sharing the good news here and beyond as Christ's Spirit-empowered witnesses. Amen. What gift of grace is Jesus my
Uh, brothers and sisters, it's been great sharing God's word with you. Pre- please spend time praying in light of scripture. Find a few things to thank God for uh, from the text and ask for help. I mean, we've been confronted with the prospect of opposition. Dear God, help us as we face that. Help us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Um, help us to follow in the steps of, Sol- uh, of Stephen. They're all good uh, good things to be praying. And there are others. Have a dig. You'll find them. Um, also, uh, pray for our missionaries. Um, here at St Augustine's, we support people like Andy and Margie Newman and Gil and Ruth in Southeast Asia. Uh, please uphold them in prayer. I know they deeply value our prayers. Also, pray for the work here uh, at St Augustine's. We'd appreciate your prayers uh, that we would um, uh, truly uh, value the scriptures that ministry of the word would be number one and that prayer would very very closely follow and that we'd be loving each other and aspiring to godly leadership and growing in Christ above all else let me close with these encouragements from Ephesians chapter 2 you're no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. May you be encouraged as we all seek to do that together. In Christ Jesus. Amen. God bless.